in a world filled with information. Where do you turn to get straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money? Lock it in to the longest-running financial talk show in Arkansas and let us help you build the bridge between information and application. Real financial change begins right here, and it starts with you. It's showtime! For millions of Americans, it is tax refund time. On today's show, how tax planning can impact your financial future. The Get Ready for the Future show starts right now. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. Hey, welcome in, and we are glad to have you with us for another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show. My name is Scott Inman, along with us today on the board of uh, talent, we'll call it. Let's call it. That's board, a stretch. Talent. I, I paused before I said it, but <laughs> that's it's a stretch. Uh, that's what they used to call it, the broadcast business. So we all are right. all uh, well, co-hosting. Let's put it that way. Uh, John Shrewsbury to my right, Tim Key to his right. Welcome to both of you. As we talk about tax time today, uh, obviously, if you haven't filed your taxes, uh, well, as this is live streaming today, you've got a little bit of time left. But if you're picking it up on podcast or radio, you are out of time unless you file an extension. But we're talking a little bit more specifically about what to do with your tax refund, but we're going to wrap that in a larger conversation about tax planning, and and we we, we would call it forward tax strategy, Uh, and we're going to get into that as well. But when we talk about refunds, you know, it's an interesting psychological game that we play with the IRS because, I mean, for years, uh, that was something that I looked forward to personally, right? I wanted to get money back when I filed my taxes. I wanted a tax refund, and I made sure that I set everything up to make that happen, if possible, of course. And I think that's, uh, I would say if you surveyed our client base, guys, that 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 would be the overwhelming majority of their thoughts, too, that they are used to getting money back. I think about when when we're setting up um, retirement distributions, when someone does retire, and we talk about withholdings and uh, trying to set that up, they they always talk to us almost and say, I want to make sure, because we'll ask that question, right? We'll say, do you want to get money back? Do you want to kind of break even? Are you used to paying? And I would say 90%, just off the top of my head, say that they are used to getting money back. But it is a psychological concept, right? We all like lump sums. We all like a windfall. And this enables us to do it. But when you really think about it, you're really just getting the money that you pay in back. Yeah, the games people play with money and the games that institutions play with you about your money. And this kind of reminds me of when I, I, many, many years ago, when I first got an insurance license, I learned that a dividend of an insurance company is not like a dividend of a regular corporation. It is a refund of an overpayment of premium. Hmm. And so it's really them giving you your money back and telling you they're doing something for you. Right. Uh, and, and that's kind of the way the IRS is too, Tim. It, we, if we stop and think about it, you've actually overpaid your taxes, let them hold the money for 12 months, and then they're going to give it back, by the way, interest-free. Yeah. You give, yeah. You've given them an interest-free loan for m- most of that year, you know, along the way. And so getting your taxes closer to break even is going to be the best financial decision you can probably make. I mean, getting a big refund, um, obviously people don't want to get the news from their tax accountant that they owe two or $3,000 or more uh, when the taxes are done. But um, getting that big refund back, it is psychological. You think, wow, I just got something. You know, it's But that was your money. You could have had that six months ago or a year ago. So I, I just thought of this question. I should have researched this before we got on the air, so to speak. 
but I wonder what the break-even point is for you to, to have to pay but not be in hot water with the IRS. I know that there, I know that you could write a check if you're, you know, $50, $200, whatever the case may be, and they don't really pay attention to that. When do they start paying attention to him? There's some rules around that. As long as you have enough um, withheld that was more than the previous year's tax due, I believe that is one of the reasons that they give you to underpay. Mm -hmm. But you need to be, I think, within a thousand or two or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the number is. It's been a while since I've done a lot of taxes. But yeah. um, I should point out that you have a CPA in your background. That's I one do. It's the, my background, yeah, way back, way back in the back. But, <laughs> but, so, but tax, tax planning and tax strategy is part of what you do for us here. Yeah, but, but there are some things that you don't want to just not pay because I mean that's that's not going to be in your best benefit. But if you can work it out with your human resources to make sure that your withholdings and and things are set up correctly and and get close to that either break even or maybe just even owing a little bit because i mean we can all write a two or three hundred dollar check or most of us can yep. um, for that especially if you've been getting that money throughout the year and doing wise things with it yeah I thought Sean, who is producing the show today, uh, pointed out in our in our yeah. ears earlier <laughs> that it's really interesting that the IRS knows how much you owe, but then it's up to you to figure it right. out and tell them this is how much I owe. Yeah. And and if you get it wrong, then you can be in trouble. I was thinking the same thing. I'm glad you shared that. So in today's show, we're going to talk about if you are getting a refund, maybe you've already gotten it, so hopefully you haven't done anything with it yet because you can hear some options here. We're going to start by talking about what not to do with it, and then we'll give you some ideas of what to do with the tax refund. I wanted to give you guys the chance to share, though. Have you ever done what? If, what's the what's the most interesting thing you've done with a tax refund? I mean, you're going to have to dip back. It's been a while since yeah. I've had a sizable one. Yeah, I don't get them very much. No, uh, it's they, different. Yeah, yeah. they. Um, I, I think that I, I actually paid off a vehicle with uh, a wise. tax right, refund one time. I owed yeah. a couple thousand dollars or something on a car way back when and then i just got that tax refund and i was looking at that payment as like well heck i can get that money back in my checking account instead of sending it to the car company if i just write this refund over to them and that's exactly what i did right well i've pretty much been a nerd my whole life i've either paid down <laughs> debt or saved it most of the time yes. um, that's a revelation on this show i didn't know that <laughs> can you too. believe that well, yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad it's confession it's, time <laughs> it's not just the last 10 or 15 years but right. um, my whole life it's been like that there are there have been cases where you know, we may have used, you know, we plan and budget that money out, and we may have taken a portion of that to, to plan a trip or a vacation or something like that. That's mine. I, I think the majority of, my, of the years that I got a refund, it was to take a vacation. And, and it determined what the refund determined <laughs> what kind of vacation I was going to take. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do yes. that. It's almost like a forced savings account yep. to them that they get it uh, in April and then they go on vacation maybe in May or June or July or something like that. And, and they always kind of count on that tax refund. And, and in financial planning conversations that we have with people, we talk with them about the possibility of them getting that money back on their paycheck. And they go, oh, no, I, I don't know. Uh, I count on that money to do this. And that happens every year. And, and, and you know, I, you can't really argue with that because uh, interest rates are really low right now. And if you put that money in savings, you're really not going to get anything on it either. So it is kind of a forced savings account for some people. That's not a bad thing necessarily, but if you are doing that in and then not maybe, for instance, putting money into your employer retirement plan and missing the match yeah. that you could get on that, then you're really beginning to cut your own throat. 
All right, so let's give you a couple things not to do. An unnecess- don't use your tax refund for an unnecessary or impulse purchase or, or multiple, right? I mean, windfall money can make it so tempting and easy. You know, the vacation thing's one thing. If, you're, if you've got a planned vacation and, and you're going to move it on to that uh, expense, but the instant gratification part of this, I think, is something that would be – I mean, it can be fun, but you really have to be wise about that because – there, there obviously, I think this goes to the point that there's probably a, a lot of other things that you should consider first before you go to that route. Well, and I think windfall money makes you kind of get a little bit stupid sometimes. Uh, you know, you, you maybe get a couple thousand dollars back on your tax refund, and then you say, well, I think I want to go buy this, and I can put that as a down payment. Well, yeah. now you've just, you know, increased your debt payments because you have to make the rest of those payments in, in installments. I was going to say it's better to use your refund to go out and purchase something like that rather than go into debt. But if it's yeah. going to actually do both, do both, yeah. um, then we definitely need to make sure we, we are looking another direction. Another thing not to do with it, don't leave it in your checking account. Now, you know, putting in savings might be something, and we'll talk about why that would be important in just a few minutes. But leaving it in your checking account where you're swinging that, swiping that debit card or writing checks if people are still doing that out of that account – it's going to see your ba- your balance is going to swell, right? And I think that we all suffer from when I see that money in there, that's my spendable money, right? And it's going to go out the door even faster if you leave it in their checking account. Yeah, it definitely does. And Scott, one more thing I'll just mention that this doesn't happen that much anymore because all of the IRS uh, refunds are now direct deposited. But when you used to get a check, yeah, you know, don't be that guy that walked around the office going, look at my refund check, look yeah. at my refund check or whatever. But uh, you don't get that anymore. It's it just gets direct deposited into your account. But make wise decisions, I think, is the thing that we're saying to people about this. Put it to good use as opposed to an impulsive use or worse yet, putting yourself in a position where you now have more debt to pay as opposed to less. And I, I will. So we'll move out of the things of what not to do and talk a little bit about a few things on what to do with your tax refund. And then we'll kind of talk a little bit about having a, a larger plan, a forward looking tax strategy or tax plan. But one of the things I think this is it's number one on our list. And I would say if if you don't have an emergency fund, it should be the first place you look because we talked about the windfall and going to purchase something or maybe just using the tax refund as a down payment and then still borrow more money. And then you think about the debt problems that you could get in there. But the reality is, too, that I think Americans are in debt to the level that they are because they don't have an adequate emergency cash savings. And if you don't, and you need to determine what that number is, I don't know that most people really, you know, they just kind of throw a little money here, a little money there. Maybe they throw $100 a month and they just kind of see where it lands and then they dip into it. Determine what your need is with a dollar amount for a cash emergency savings. And if if it's short then you need to use consider using at least a portion of that tax refund to build it up. Scott, I had a conversation with a young man that came in uh, earlier this week, as a matter of fact, and he had gotten out of college, landed a good job in sales and made a lot of money and and, you know, had a lot of cash. And I was talking with him and he was on a salary plus commission. Now he's on just straight commission. And I actually advised him to save, uh, to take part of that money that he'd built up and just squirrel away a, a year's worth of basic income needs. 
things that, that are just as basic expenses because who knows that he's in an industry in which uh, sales can be very volatile right. and who knows how long you might go and not make a sale. Yep. And so you've got to have some kind of cushion. Now, that's not everybody that needs to do that. Uh, mostly, we're going to say somewhere between three to six months expenses in an emergency fund uh, because if you got sick, lost your job, whatever the case may be, surely within a three to six month period of time, you can be back in employment. But Tim, sometimes people think about that as being money that's just sitting over there collecting dust. They think about it as what the investment potential is, but we don't really look at that as an investment. Well, if we knew what the market was going to do, we could jump in and invest that. But this is really for security. It's to sleep better at night. So we really don't want to put 20000 or $25,000 in the market, then have the market go down 15%, then all of a sudden we need it because mm-hmm. we lost our job. Think about it as an insurance policy, really, to protect against losing your job, protect against an extended illness protect against you know a huge unexpected expense uh, i like to call it creating margin and if you can have a good bit of margin in your financial life you'll be in really good shape yeah and i think about it too in terms of uh, the the stats that back this up nearly six in ten americans don't have enough savings to cover a 500 or one thousand dollar expense unplanned expense that's a, a, a report from bank rate and we see that all the time we've been quoting these stats for for years it's amazing that people don't have that cash as john said squirreled away just in case and so that back into the debt conversation what happens if you don't have that cash savings obviously you have to borrow the money because if it is truly an emergency you've got to have something done about that if your car needs a repair if the heating and air goes out in your home things that are not insured in your life you've got to make that happen just to keep your life functioning so the tax refund could be a big part of bolstering your cash emergency savings if you don't have it. Another option would be to pay off debt. So if you've got that emergency savings where it needs to be at a minimal, as John said, maybe three to six months of expenses, you can look to pay off debt. And that can really get you ahead in your financial future because we talk about it all the time. The interest you're paying on that debt just continues to put you behind on track for your retirement. Yeah, if you're one of those folks that carry interest uh, on uh, carry a a high level of debt on a credit card or something like that let's say even uh two thousand three thousand dollars depending on what that interest rate is tim it can be hugely uh draining on your resources because you're paying interest on that debt on a continual basis and a good thing would be to just take that money and pay it off and save that money yeah you know you mentioned that if you put the money in a savings account you're not going to get much but the credit card companies are still charging a lot So um, a lot of that goes back to, you know, if you're going to carry a principal balance and you're going to make the minimum payment, they they did make some changes years ago to make sure that the balance would eventually get paid off. Because I think for a while you could make payments forever and it never get paid off. Eventually. Eventually. But it's still going to take anywhere from 20 to 30 years if you just made the minimum payment. And you may, for an example here, if you spend $2,500 and carry $2,500 on a card and just make the minimum payment, um, you will actually pay almost $6,000 in interest um, over that time period. So something that really just costs $2,500, if you went out and paid cash for it, you're going to pay almost $8,400 for that if you make those payments over time. 
and if you can't pay it off with your tax refund, pay it down. Pay because, it down because you help. are going to to benefit from that in the long run. Absolutely, those, those high interest credit cards would be the first place you'd want to look. But there's also the overall debt plan that we could point out here too. The the debt uh, reduction or debt elimination plan. We believe very strongly in the debt snowball plan. Right, if yep. you get a uh, get attack that small balance first, which hopefully if you hopefully you don't have several debts but if you have four or five debts look at that smallest one can you wipe that out with the tax refund and that gives you a victory you know that's more the the dave ramsey approach that says the mental game of that right if you wipe that first one out you've got confidence and the snowball effect means you're going to keep doing it yeah you you get positive reinforcement from uh being able to do that and if you have that positive reinforcement it's going to just spur you on to to keep going and eventually you can be debt free but it could start with just the application of that refund that windfall from the IRS, that refund that you get could be that entree to debt freedom. Yeah, if we have five or six, seven debts and two or three of those are pretty small and you could knock those out, that's just a mental um, win for you that, hey, we're making progress and if we keep this up, hey, it's all going to go away. Hey, guys, let's contextualize this a little bit more. You know, we we see people oftentimes going, yeah, I got a little credit card debt. I, t- I take care of it. And they're kind of vague about how they take care of it. I think they take care of it by paying the minimum payment, keep the credit card company from calling them sometimes. But it's it is impossible to reach financial independence if you have credit card debt. It's just not possible to get there because you are now dependent upon your job to be able to extinguish that credit card debt. You're still in bondage, if you will, to the credit card company. And so financial freedom, financial independence, it really starts with getting out of debt. The overview here we're giving as the subject of the show today is what to do with your tax refund if you're getting one. But really, it could be applicable to any windfall or lump sum that you come into contact with if it's an inheritance. It's a it's a bonus. The idea is think about what will put you on track better for financial independence, because that's what we what we're ultimately all trying to achieve. I think we use the word uh, retirement. Uh, we overuse the word retirement. It does suggest that you're done. You're going to stop. But really what we're seeking is financial independence. And I think the earlier you get there, the better. If you can achieve it at 55, 60 years old, it doesn't mean you're not going to work anymore, John. You might work because you want to, but you don't have to worry about how much you make. And these steps that we're talking about will get an acceleration in your journey towards financial independence. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can, when they begin to to really um – intake and and absorb and really understand the the concept of financial independence, they can really get excited about that and get behind it. One of the problems is that people think financial independence is unattainable. Mm. And, And I'm here to tell you it is absolutely attainable, but you have to be disciplined. You have to do the right things in order to get there. And so I think it's just a mindset shift that you've got to have in in thinking about that and doing that. And I think that is something as as relatively insignificant as a tax refund could get you started on that journey if you use it in the right way. So if you need to bolster your cash savings, what that does is prepare you for the next emergency so that you don't have to go into debt and 
and borrow to get out of that emergency. If you need to pay down some of your debt, that puts you that much closer to being debt free so that you're not paying high interest rates and you're not dependent rather than independent. And if you've done those two things and you're rolling pretty good, the next thing we would say to do with your refund or any windfall lump sum that you get is put it toward retirement. And that really speaks back to what we do every day here at Genwealth. The team builds retirement income plans. We need to target your uh, desired retirement date, your desired uh, uh, amount of income, and see, are we on track? Are we putting enough money back into savings, contributing to our retirement accounts to get us likely to the asset level we need to produce that income? So it all goes back to the plan, but at least consider putting some of that refund towards retirement. As of April 1, the average tax refund was $3,226. That could, you know, that doesn't sound like much, but if you're 20 years, 25 years away from financial independence or planned financial independence, that could go a long way with compound interest. It, it can. And I know there are a lot of people out there today that, that look at retirement and go, you know, I don't want to be 65 or 70 before I really begin to enjoy myself. Well, one of the things you've got to do in that case is put some money away for your eventual retirement, but put it in, in non-retirement retirement accounts. If you want to retire before 55 or 59 and a half, depending on where your money is going to come from, Tim, you've got to have some non-qualified outside your retirement account money to bridge you to that era where you can get to your qualified money. So if you're really putting a lot of money into your 401k or maxing that out and and you may have that opportunity to retire early. We do need some place to go to fill that gap before age 59 and a half when you have access to those um, pre-qualified um, funds that you can actually then go and have investments built for the timeline that we have and make sure that we're building that up so that you have access to it. Let's, let's put some numbers on that. And let's say you wanted to retire at age 50, and maybe you got a lot of money in your 401k plan at work that you can get to at age 55, mm-hmm. and maybe you've got some other money in IRAs that you can get to at 59 and a half. But what about that gap between 50 and 55? How are you going to live on that? Well, that becomes way problematical when you start trying to think about ways that you can get that qualified money out early. There's probably one way to do it, and it's really not a, a real advantageous way for most people. So, uh, Scott, I believe you've got to think about investments that are just in your name or your joint name with your uh, your spouse that you're making for retirement and it's earmarked for retirement, but you have the ability to get to that money prior to your eventual retirement age at 55 or 59 and a half. And I think this speaks to if you're listening today and you're wondering what to do with your refund, you're wondering what to do about retirement, financial independence, and maybe you haven't built a lot of wealth. I think it is a great point in the show to talk to you that Gen Wealth Financial Advisors, we build retirement income plans regardless of the level of wealth that someone walks in the door with. We want to get you there and regardless of where you are right now. So you can still build that plan to retire early, to reach financial independence at an earlier date, especially if you have time on your side. Okay, so one final suggestion of what to do with your tax refund. You might want to consider making home improvements. Now, this is our our last as far as priority goes, but when you think about where the housing market is right now, maybe you're thinking about selling your house. I mean, I'm going to, in total transparency, tell you that's what I'm doing right now. Not home improvements, but uh, 
uh, upgrades, home, upgrades, okay. right? To to prepare to sell a home, right? Mm-hmm. And and obviously it's a great time to sell. If that's something that you're considering, use that rather than a home. I think the 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 first place people think about when they attach any kind of project to their house is to tap a home equity line of credit. You know, that's just standard. I think, right. and, and unfortunately, you're you know, we don't realize you're paying interest for that. If you can pay cash. For that, and a, lump, a refund in lump sum form would allow you to potentially do that. That would be better than than even tapping the home equity line of credit. Yeah, and I think you got to look at, at what's the return you get. There are some things that you can do in a home improvement that gets you a, a good benefit if you're going to sell that home in the not too distant future. Some of the things, Scott, I know that you're working on personally will probably up the value of your house. But some of the things, Tim, you, you just don't get any return on that money uh, if you are putting it toward something that is insignificant to a buyer. Yeah, I know a lot of our clients, I mean, especially the ones that are planning on staying where they are, they do they do want to upgrade bathrooms and kitchens and things like that. And and they a lot of the ones we've met with have sacrificed so that they could put money back for retirement and do other things. So, you know, it is in their goals when we talk to them about what do you want to do in retirement, upgrades to the house, um, that shows up a lot. So, mm-hmm. you know, it makes sense. And But, you know, if you are planning on selling your house, you definitely want to put something in that's going to make um, give it more square footage, things like that. And I think that's what um, Scott's doing in on his plan. But, um, you know, being able to get some more value out of it, you don't want to go out and put in a swimming pool. I mean, that's not going right. to get the value out of it. So yeah. there are some, definitely some things that you can consider that um, will actually provide um, maybe you a higher selling price whenever you're um, ready to sell. Or if you're going to stay in the home, replacing old windows, uh, old appliances that can be replaced with more energy efficient models. You can reduce your utility bills if you're going to stay in the house. That is certainly would be a great place uh, to dump a refund. But, you know, I, I think it's uh, really interesting that people tap that borrowing line first. But I also want to think about when we talk about clients about ready to retire, a lot of times they're looking to those retirement accounts. We've talked before on this show about how we have to talk clients out sometimes from taking a lump sum out of their retirement accounts to pay off their mortgage. Right. Same could apply here, right? If you have a project in mind that you want to accomplish because you're going to stay in your home throughout your retirement and you're thinking about tapping your retirement account, remember it is a taxable account, whereas this refund's coming to you and if you can use that instead, that would be a great opportunity to not tap the retirement account. You're absolutely right, Scott. We've got on our Facebook Live feed, we've got a question from Bruce. He's asking, would it be wise to put the refund to the principal on the balance of your house note? And I think that that's very circumstantial. Yeah. Uh, if you are planning on moving, maybe you don't need to do that. If you are planning on staying there and it will get you a good ways toward financial independence where you can eliminate that house note, I think that there is maybe some validity you do that. Tim, you got some thoughts on that? No, I think if you've got the emergency fund set up and um, you know you don't have any other debts, I mean, that's that's actually where my extra money is going right now. I'd like to get my mortgage paid off. So I would take that lump sum and put it toward the mortgage. Guys, before we run too much out of time here, I wanted to be sure that we touch on maybe uh, making your refund bigger. And I know we've talked about, you know, you'd like to kind of break even or what have you, but I want to think about tax planning. Mm. And if you think about this, and, and Tim, I know that you have CPA in your background and no, 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 nothing against any CPA, but let's talk about accountant. What does an accountant do? He accounts for what has already happened. That's what a CPA basically does, is they basically take what you've done throughout the year, 
account for it, put it on a tax form and send it to the IRS. Well, here's a novel concept. How about looking forward and thinking of things that you can do to reduce your tax burden? Because if you can reduce your tax burden, then that's more money on the table for you to be financially independent. Tim, as taxes are probably the biggest drain to anybody's finances right off the bat. Absolutely. And, and you know, a lot of people hang shingles and they take and do tax returns during this time of the year. And it's good money for them. But very, very few are going to actually give you any feedback on what you can do to help lower your taxes. Yeah. And so I think that that is really a point that people oftentimes just don't look at. They they go to their CPA once a year and they, they account for their taxes and, and it's done. But sitting down and actually doing some some strategies and thinking about, okay, can I do this and what would impact my, how would that impact my taxes? And that's something that we do here at GenWealth. We do forward-looking tax tax planning. We have software that you can bring in your 1040 form to us and we can run different scenarios of, well, if we contributed to an IRA, what would that do for you? Or if we did this or whatever the situation might be, there are a lot of possibilities that we just don't have time to go into in today's show. But there are a lot of things that if you just look up and look forward, you can avoid some some tax issues. Tim, some things that you uh, can add to that. Well, I think definitely um, can we contribute more to our retirement accounts. I mean, make sure that we're getting our match, but um, those, for high income earners, that's about the only, one of the few places you can actually put money that's going to reduce the amount of income that you have reported. Do you have an HSA available at work and for a high deductible health insurance plan? If you have an HSA or even a flexible spending account, um, putting money in that will also reduce your overall income. So, you know, there's ways to reduce that overall income that really saves if you're in a 22% or 24% tax bracket, it's saving, you know, 22 or 24 cents on every dollar going from from the IRS, uh, to the IRS and another 6% or so um, going to the state. So, so it's very important that, you know, there's those are the big options, but there's other things that we can do as far as giving and things like that um, that can definitely make some deductions and um, allow you to pay an overall lower income tax. And I think a lot of times we're always asking, you know, what's our refund or how much do we owe? We don't actually look at what percentage of our overall income are we paying in taxes? And yeah. that's the bigger number. Yeah, absolutely. And Scott, I think about this as a, as a what if. This is a point in time where you get to actually run some scenarios and with real numbers, but yeah. it doesn't affect anything. You can look right. at it and say, okay, that's the outcome. Do I want to do that or not? And I want to give a big uh, attention uh, shout out to the uh, people who are listening to this show who are self-employed, who have 1099 income, who are working in the gig economy, even if it's a sideline gig to what you're doing. If you are in that situation, then you need to talk with us about how you can shelter some of that income from from taxes. I continually run across people who are self-employed but don't know about setting up up a retirement plan for themselves. Maybe it's just them. Maybe they're a contractor and they just work and they they get paid and they have to account for that every year. They don't realize that they can actually set up a small business retirement program for their business to benefit them and shelter a significant percentage of their income against taxes. I think it really does highlight the uh, worry I think that is out there when I'm sitting here listening to you guys talk about all of the different ways that you can plan forward-looking with tax strategies. I also, it dawns on me that it's probably a top three question, I think, in client meeting rooms. 
that when we talk about retirement planning, that's one of the things that comes up over and over again at the top of the list is I'm worried about taxes in retirement. And one thing we haven't even talked about, and obviously we're running out of time, but we should at least give this a, a little bit of address, is the is the Roth conversion. Yes, yes. And thinking about how you can uh, fill up your tax bracket, if you will. If you, uh, if you have an income that's just over the line as far as your tax bracket is concerned, you can fill up that tax bracket with a Roth conversion and you're not paying a higher percentage of taxes when you convert that, but you're now turning that future retirement money into tax-free money. And maybe you're in a situation where you're at a lower bracket now than, than you might be even when you retire. And and so that's something that, again, you've got to run the scenarios on. You've got to look at and figure out, is this beneficial to me? And if it is, then yes, go forward. And if it's not, then you can certainly uh, not do that. But this is a, something that I think, guys, that we want to bring in the CPA to just kind of check over what we're doing. Uh, certainly, the CPA is the one that's got to to stand behind what you do with the IRS. Uh, we can give some ideas in this forward-looking tax planning. But at the end of the day, it's your decision with your CPA. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it depends on, you know, really what you want. And, um, you know, even though we've had some great discussion today, I mean, about around taxes, I mean, one of the things that Scott and I've had in a lot of our meeting rooms recently is legacy planning and because and how taxes are going to come into play in legacy planning, because with the Roth conversions and, and different things like that, getting money into um, Roth IRAs or non-qualified accounts especially if you're going to be leaving a lot of money behind to your the next generation, it's going to be a lot, especially in today's historically low um, income tax brackets, better for you to take on and pay those taxes maybe than rather leaving those to your kids. Yeah, and I will say that, you know, for years and years, I have really seen very little need for life insurance once you've built up a, a good bit of wealth in your life. But the SECURE Act has changed that. Mm-hmm. If you want to leave a legacy to your kids, bottom line of it is it's probably better for you to spend your, your IRA money and leave a life insurance policy because that bequeaths over to them tax-free as opposed to them taking a big IRA and having to account for the taxes on that over a 10-year period of time as far as your children or your non-spouse beneficiaries are concerned. If you've listened to our show recently, you've heard us talk about the SECURE Act, but that changed the way inherited IRAs have to be withdrawn. You have to take it out over a 10-year period now, which could be a huge tax burden to your children. Well, you heard the bell in the background. It's time for our final thoughts, and Tim, we'll start with you. I think the uh, thought that I have around all this, if you get a big tax refund, if you've already gotten it, or maybe you're getting it, maybe you've already spent it, but anytime you get a tax um, refund, a pinch, um, a, a bonus, or any type of lump sum, ask yourself before you actually spend it, what's going to be the best for me long term? I mean, is that saving in the emergency fund? Is that paying off debt? Is that putting it um, toward future retirements or other expenses? I think you need to ask yourself that and make a good decision. Scott, I will say that that perspective is everything. You've heard that on the show many times before. Perspective is everything. And when you have a big financial decision to make, and maybe a refund, you don't consider that to be a huge financial decision, but it could be a really impactful financial decision. What you really need is perspective. And if you have a plan, then you can look at that through the lens of the plan and then decide, okay, this is where I need to go. This is what I need to do. And this is going to be the outcome that I can expect from from doing that. And I think the only way you do that is to sit down with your trusted advisor insert that that lump sum of whatever into your plan, run the scenarios, and see how that might come out for you. My final thought is a 
cell phone number. 501-381-5228. I want you to put that into your contacts. 501-381-5228. Lots of resources available to you from GenWealth by texting to that number. And we're going to give you one right here. How likely are you to have a successful retirement? You can find out for free with our 15-minute retirement checkup. Just text the word checkup to that number, 501-381-5228. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. We appreciate you joining us on what to do with your tax refund and, more importantly, have a forward-looking tax strategy specifically when you come closer to retirement. It is always about the plan. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building toward financial independence, share the podcast with your friends and family. The Gen Wealth financial team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. GenWealth Financial Advisors is an Arkansas-registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC.